On this week in sales, we're looking at Gong.io, who are, well, they're not just content to analyzing your phone calls, they're getting into your video calls as well. We're gonna get mine and Victor's thoughts on that and what that means for sales moving forward. We're gonna take a look at how 5G technology in the new iPhone and every other phone that's gonna come from this point is gonna change sales and why you might wanna start texting your buyers as well and a whole lot more. And so with that, Victor, how are you, mate? What's changed since last time we recorded? This time, last you know, week. Le, le, I, I got a beef. I got a <laughs> beef today. And the, <laughs> and the beef is this, 5G. So we're currently using Verizon, right? And so we were given the option because we needed better coverage to go to 5G. And so they kind of told us this. If you go to, well, they did kind of, they did tell us that if you move over to 5G, you can't go back to the regular network. Sure. So we moved over to 5G. I'm just saying, well, it's not there yet at least in our area, the 5G. So it's very spotty right now. So we're kind of trying to find places in the house where you can actually speak without the calls dropping. So Verizon, get your game together on the 5G. I'm sure my European fellows have it down to the science now. Well, Would you I, say it's better it, on your side? It's better on our side, but all our 5G <laughs> infrastructure is made by Huawei, who Donald Trump banned from uh, importing products into the US. So I don't know whether it's better for me out to... I can speak anywhere in the house on 5G, but the Chinese government might be listening to everything I say. So uh, maybe that's a conversation <laughs> for another time if we don't want to get too political on things. But yeah, we'll, we'll come back to 5G because um, I want to dive into that and what that means for video calls and everything else, Victor. But to get us started, yeah, I know yeah. you've dove into this. Gong.io, they're not content with just the audio recordings and, and analysis. What does it mean for us uh, with this article from Wired.com? What does this mean for us, Victor, now that they're starting to analyze video and, and other forms of data as well? It's where it was going all the time. And we talked about this last week that these companies are going to start, first of all, consolidating and, and amplifying at the same time. By that, I mean is they're going to amplify their product offering, moving into new spaces like video. And they're also going to start consolidating with other providers to actually provide an end-to-end -end solution. Because if you think about it, you know, Gong is just a, a slice. It's a big slice. But I remember talking to Amit Bendoff, who's the CEO of Gong, and he's on this track, man. I don't know, you know, if you've never been to the Gong.io site, you should go. I mean, it's, these guys are funky. I, that's the word I use for them because they're very different and different in thinking. But this technology has been coming already. There's a company called Effectiva that actually does this whole thing with facial recognition. You know, so that's also going to start analyzing your facial features. And they're seeing this in the actual autonomous cars as well. It's mad. What can we pull, though, Victor, from um, what, what can we pull from a video conversation, a Zoom call that we can't just pull from the audio? OK, so, yeah, let's talk about it. So everybody gets it. Like today, for example, if you use Zoom, you can use a, a product like otter.ai. Otter.ai is a, you know, basically transcribes using sure. AI, then you take that transcription, you stick it in an in in intelligent CRM, and it analyzes verbiage, keywords, all that. On the facial side, what can you find? Micro expressions. That's what we've gotten down to. They can look at micro expressions and tell. So if, if I said something like, here's a price range we're looking at, the AI will be able to pick up that, that visual recognition, those micro gestures like, ooh, they didn't like that. Mm -hmm. Or if you said something, that expression will tell it all. It seems almost like Zoom should buy 
gong and then just implement it into every call and every time you lie there's a flashing uh, sign that pops up that would help <laughs> whether you're selling whether you're buying whether you're having divorce conversations and you're having to do it yeah. remotely with a counselor <clears throat> whoever was involved uh, these uh, like how let me ask you this though just because i guess i'm making light of it slightly how much more accurate is ai to uncover this versus if you or I went on some kind of training and we learned to recognize micro expressions and, and things like that ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think I would move my chips in with AI really? for this simple reason, because we're not good at multitasking. We're good at switching. Sure. We've all know that, right? And so if you're having a sales conversation with somebody, it's hard to be in the moment, have the conversation, and then have another part of your brain be like this surveillance system for pattern recognition. So I think it's very hard. So I would bank. In fact, side little story. We used to actually do four-legged sales calls. So by that, two people. And so one person was always- I've never heard it called that before. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a very, very popular term here in the US. And so one person was always doing the talking and the other person's job was always to monitor for reaction or shifts, whatever it may be, and vice versa when you switch roles. So this makes sense. I go with AI. Okay. <clears throat> so, and this is my final question. Because I find this is absolutely fascinating. Oh, right? it's really fast. Who is at an advantage if a salesperson has this technology and a buyer has this technology and they're conversing and perhaps they're negotiating gear, who's who's at the advantage? Who lies the most? Who's better at lying? Who's better at um, controlling the conversation? Who needs to control the conversation? Who's at the advantage here, Victor? Oh, I have no idea, Will, but that is a funny scenario, right? Computer against computer, basically yep. facing each other. Uh, that is a very good question. Like, how do you, how do you, I don't know, Will. I mean, that's a very yeah. good question. Like if you got two machines going at each other and each feeding you different instructions, mm -hmm. I guess if we look at them as coaches, we'll just have to see which algorithm is a better coach. But I'm going with that theory. I feel I feel that's a bit of a cop out, Victor, because they'll be <laughs> learning is. from each other, right? I can just imagine the scene, some kind of dystopian future where there's a salesperson sat in a chair that is electrified every time they do something daft or wrong, and they're getting shocked. And then the buyers on the other end, on a, a they've they've got someone prodding them with an electrified stick every time they get it wrong, and it's just the <laughs> two AIs have become conscious. And they're just doing it to annoy each other and uh, just annoy the humans. They're just playing up for the sake of it. By the way, don't, didn't we kind of do that already? What was that test? Remember the uh, the test where the other person's in the other room and they're saying if they, if they ask, answer the question wrong, you have to kind of increase the voltage. And they wanted to see mm -hmm. how far human beings would go. And some people actually went all the way to the, the full max. So maybe... I can see, I, you know, a little sadistic AI. I don't know. I yeah. guess dystopian is a good word. <laughs> yeah, that, you bring You're me so back. dark, Will. I, You're I, so dark, man. <laughs> you bring me back to, I did psychology A-level here in the UK, which is the what, what you do before you go to college or university. Mm -hmm. And there was that experiment. And then also, this, uh, you, I'm sure you were the Stanford prison experiments where they yeah, had the, the, uh, you know, the, the guards or the, the mock guards and the, the mock inmates and basically they all turned on each other and fell into the roles it's it's it, you know i think yeah human nature maybe we need a bit of ai to coach us in the right direction maybe didn't they do a movie on that i think i saw a movie on that actually it's like a yeah it was a movie i think it's on netflix or something and it was really fascinating mm -hmm. to watch really fascinating to watch yeah i love it so this is interesting but i think this whole thing about analyzing the, the facial expressions the micro gestures i think that's all part of the plan already. This was thought about five, 10 years ago, and now we're starting to see the actual rollout of it. But again, if you look at autonomous cars, you know they're able to tell when you fall asleep, 
so they can vibrate the wheel to wake you up and things of that nature. Yeah, it's not on the topics for today's show, and it's it's almost irrelevant mm-hmm. in a in a world of selling from home. But I know Tesla, mm-hmm. I think they're rolling out in the next few months the actual full-on autonomous driving in the US, and it's not legal here in the mm-hmm. UK. Um, so that's another thing perhaps we can touch on in, in a future episode when it comes mm-hmm. out. But that's gonna that could change every economy in an instant, right? Of you know, instant delivery or quicker deliveries and not having to drive to work and and be, imagine going to a sales meeting and being able to sell on the way there and just or prep for the meeting or whatever it is. I know in my days in my days of medical device sales, I spent so much time. It just wasted so much time driving around in the car that that would have been a game changer for me back then. Yeah, I think the you know the remote selling, you know, now is changing so much. Like everybody's accepting that. And I think yeah. that's we may not need self-driving cars because we probably won't get in the car. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And, it, and then it leads to uh, again a weird dystopian future Victor of if we can just get stuff delivered to us so quick, same day, same hour from I know Amazon here in the UK is doing I think it's 2-hour delivery on groceries. They partnered with Morrisons, yeah. a, a big supermarket in the UK. Do we even need to leave our houses? And then we got VR goggles that come on top of this. We want to go to Paris for the weekend. We get to throw on our VR glasses. And, uh, you know, I went to Paris a couple of years ago for the first time. I wasn't that impressed of it all. I've got to be honest. It was just, I was expecting it to be romantic, Victor. I was there with my partner. And it was just, it was like London. It was like any other big city, just slightly okay. dirty and full of tourists. But with VR, <laughs> we can get rid of all the tourists. And it can just be me and my partner there. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. By the way, isn't isn't Amazon? And again, this could be another topic. Isn't Amazon moving towards? You know how you got one click buy? Mm-hmm. Aren't they moving towards? I I read somewhere a while back. We're moving towards zero click. Zero click means they would anticipate what you wanted, and deliver it. And if you wanted to send it back or portions wow. thereof, you'd be able to do that. So they're moving towards a zero click reality. That I I didn't know. I've not heard of that. But that is that is dangerous. If someone sent me something cool and I played with it for five minutes. I'm probably going to keep it until my bank balance right. is zero, right? That's right. But I, I think they're they're basing it on your past sales when they think <laughs> you'll deplete your supply for groceries, like detergent, things of that nature. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll cover that. <laughs> we'll cover that when it happens, Victor. Okay. <laughs> next one, just to bring it back to Gong for a second, because we called it. I think it was uh, two weeks ago. We said this that companies like Gong with Salesforce coming out with the AI and the, just the massive amounts of revenue and then the cash and the technology that they have. They need to partner up with other organizations to be able to compete. And here, the news from prnewswire.com, Gong has connected with, I can't see it in the doc, but basically Microsoft and Google and a bunch of other companies to be able to provide similar services that now Salesforce are offering with their the meetings and all that kind of stuff. Were we ahead yeah, of no, the no. game here, Victor? We were way ahead of the game. <laughs> we're, we're, we're declaring this press release is October 14th which was yesterday. Mm-hmm. We talked about this, if not a week ago, two weeks ago, about the consolidation of these partners to actually be able to compete with the behemoths like salesforce.com. So now you got, based on this press release, which is really good, it says, uh, if I could just read the first part, I think it's interesting. Gong, the leader in revenue intelligence software, announced its second annual, at its at its annual, second annual celebrate conference today that it, it's integrated with Slack, Microsoft Dynamics, and Zoom to strengthen its virtual selling platform. And but the, the data point below that paragraph, really, I highlighted, Will, because, and if you're listening in, man, really listening to this, is Gartner's future of sales research shows that by 2025, 80, not 18, 80 of B2B sales interactions between suppliers and buyers will occur 
in digital channels. What say you will on that little data point? Well, we actually covered this two weeks ago, Victor. That exact yeah, data point, but it's it's. It, so I don't. I need to. I need to look at that and that data point and those numbers in more detail because does that include a a phone call on Skype from my phone? Is that a digital mm-hmm. channel? You know, the, mm-hmm. the 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 numbers is is somewhat shocking there, but depending on how you count digital, is an IP. Uh, VoIP phone going from your office is that digital? Um, I, I don't know really. What, what what do we think we're comparing this to? You know that that response is so British of you. <laughs> it's amazing. What, pessimistic. <laughs> I'm over here. Yeah, yeah, I'm over here all excited. Like yeah, yeah, that eight percent. Look at all this stuff going. You're like, well, Victor, slow down. What does that mean, Victor? Does that mean phone? Virtual you know, VPNs. What does it mean, Victor? What does it really mean? I love your answer, but it's a great answer, right? Because what does it really mean? But I think the 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 macro message, if I can use that phrase, sure. is that more and more supply or buyers rather are getting comfortable with digital and this virtual medium of video. Yeah, I, I agree, and uh, we've, we've, this is a, a common theme at the moment for us on on these shows, uh, Victor. That video is just becoming more and more important, right? Where can yeah. we go from if we were to project? Let me ask you this: If you write Victor right now, and the, the Victor training, the content, the speaking, mm-hmm. everything that you do, if you could partner with a an organization to kind of build your platform and and to compete against whoever else is in the space who you compete mm-hmm. against. Who would you who would you choose? What 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 organization would it be? I I would choose like organizations that do these uh, the the sales enablement platforms and the sales engagement platforms, which is what we talked about the last time. It's these these are the companies that are ahead. What's happening now? You know, you know what's. Let me just take a step back. I see what a lot of sales trainers are still doing. Notice the phrasing: still doing. I see few salespeople, sales trainers, doing what is now being done to actually sell more effectively. And so what we're seeing is for those who get it and, and can feel that shift underneath their feet, they're saying, look, it's all about how do you how do you engage through these platforms? How do you sell through these platforms? And so, you know, I just really think all this is changing. Well, we're I think we're in the in the in the, in the middle of this tornado and we're trying to make sense of all these flying pieces of paper all around us. And we're trying to collect bits to see where it's going. So my my bet is that Training will move online. You know, what we're seeing with these consolidation, these big companies are, you're going to see another large sales force pop up. Don't be surprised. Here, let's make another prediction. Yep. Gong, Microsoft, Zoom. I say Microsoft comes in, buys it, because Microsoft has the Einstein program. Mm-hmm. Let's just buy everybody. You know, come on, Gong, I, I know what, I, I don't know Gong IO, but I know Gong IO. And they built their business through investments, right? And what's the aim of a lot of these large companies? To get bought out by a bigger company. So maybe Microsoft will go, I don't know if I would have put Zoom in the mix, would you? I'll tell you exactly what I think is going to happen. And I would uh, maybe a bet against you because I think you'll you'll, you'll probably agree with some of this. Okay. Um, But I'd I'd bet against, I'd put money on this. I think LinkedIn is going to- What are you talking about? We're talking at least one euro. Let's do one euro. Well, we can do pounds if you like, or all our oh, businesses pounds. in dollars. So, <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, I don't trust the pounds. It's a dollar so, bet. Yeah. It's, a, it's a dollar bet. A dollar bet. Go well, well. Okay, so I bet within the next, I bet within the next twelve months, Zoom, uh, sorry, LinkedIn will convert the half-assed CRM that it's got within itself 
into a fully fledged CRM, or and I'm going to I'm going to hedge my bet slightly here. Or um, Microsoft is it Dynamics 350, the, the the CRM will be so integrated into LinkedIn that it'll become a, a CRM in its own right. And I think at that point, LinkedIn, which is obviously owned by Microsoft, will then start buying all of these organizations, or Microsoft will buy them and, and tag them into a LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is the platform that needs some acquisitions. Obviously, they're killing it, but they need some acquisitions and that will then separate them. And no one will ever catch up to LinkedIn just because of the social network elements of it, um, you know, the, the, the principles behind the social network and the difficulty to get them moving. Um, I don't think, I think that's the most valuable thing that Microsoft have in this space from a completely uneducated person who has no idea what Microsoft has in the space. From the outside looking in, I feel like LinkedIn is going to be the, the the big winner in all of this. And whether that's we start doing messaging and conversations and video calls through LinkedIn, because it's you know it could it could be implemented in the Amazon way of, of one click or essentially zero clicks when you want to connect with the right person at the right time. They could do all that prediction for you. They've got all of the data. I think LinkedIn is going to be the one that's going to be sucking up the likes of Gong. Love it. Prediction is made, by the way. <laughs> I like it. By the way, it makes sense, right? There's, some, there's going to be some consolidation. It always happens. A lot of companies pop up. Consolidation. Good. Good, man. Okay, Victor, tell us about 5G. <clears throat> Other than you can't get it in your bathroom, what else is it doing <sighs> for you and salespeople kind of around the world? So, you know, I saw this announcement. Uh, yeah, I'm mad, at, I'm mad at two people today. I'm just mad at two <laughs> entities today. You know, I'm mad at Verizon with their 5G network. And then I'm, I'm mad at the iPhone people now. Because, you know, so part of this announcement was that the new iPhones will have 5G capability. It'll have 5G capability. Now, let's put that in context. That would mean a lot to me if I was over in the UK because I think your network's a little better than ours. But what does that mean for us? Just because you have 5G-enabled phone doesn't mean you have a 5G-enabled network. And it doesn't mean you have 5G-enabled applications. So that was my first issue. But I'm glad they're moving in that direction. We're slow to catch up to the, the European markets, right? And then the second part, this one really irritated me. Now, you tell me where you think, what the strategy is. This is, by the way, let me title this Petty. Okay, just want to highlight this is gonna be <laughs> this is gonna be so so what Apple is saying now in this link, and you'll have the link in our in our document. Mm -hmm. What Apple is also saying now is that you're gonna get this phone and we're gonna charge you a massive amount of money for, right? I don't know, a thousand bucks, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred bucks, don't come up with the number. But but will we're not gonna include the charger or the headphones for environmental purposes. What do you think, Will? So I will go one step further than this, Victor, because I don't want a charger and I don't want headphones in my iPhone if it means it's going to be slightly cheaper or if it means, you know, fine for the environment. Because every pair of iPhone headphones I have are in a cupboard somewhere, in a drawer, in a massive mess. I'm never going to use them in a million years because they sound crappy and the design sounds crappy. So they cannot be selling you on something else when you leave the iPhone store or the Apple store, right? So that doesn't bother me whatsoever. The issue is they've delivered or they are delivering in the box a usb type c to lightning cable and nobody that. has a chance so i've got a macbook in front of me here this is all usb c that's why they're doing it apple assume that um and, and they do this for numerous reasons which we can dive into the psychology of perhaps but they they want to make it uh, an assumption that you're using apple desktops and laptops so it'll just all be compatible and you're part of the ecosystem so that's the most stupid thing that they've gone and done that and okay. 
That right. was someone purposefully doing it because USB Type-C is the new, like, trendy, uh, useful right. type of USB, even though now everyone's going to have to go and buy an additional charger to plug it on the end of it. That's correct. When I saw the thing about the little cable, I'm like, yeah, thank you very much for that little, you know, that was kind of like, we'll take away this, but we'll give you this little cable to make sure you're on an Apple. So I don't know. I may be looking at moving to an Android. I'm just letting you know. Well, it goes I deeper than that, Victor. Why are they using Lightning? So I've got an iPad Pro. So anyone watches our YouTube content where I'm narrating things and, and scribbling things down, I do that on an iPad Pro. An iPad Pro has a USB Type-C connection on it, so mm -hmm. I can use any cable. I, I literally just unplug this cable from my Mac, plug it into the iPad Pro, sit down and record. If I want to charge my iPhone, I've got to use a Lightning cable. What did... What's That's the, right. What was I don't I, I can't even get my words out because it's so stupid that you know 15 years ago or however long 10 years ago and it all kicked off maybe they wanted their own proprietary connection to sell mm -hmm. cables but now it just seems absolutely mental. Yeah, my total my rant on that is remember when they had the 3.5 millimeter connector, mm -hmm. the regular connector for uh, headphones, right? And then all of a sudden they switched to the Lightning. I go, what am I going to do with all these headphones? Yep. I can't use them anymore. So now I got to carry around a dongle. First of all, I hate the word dongle. Yeah, just sounds wrong, you know. But I got to carry around dongle, and I got to find my dongle. I mean, you know, and it's hard walking around the house. Has anybody seen my dongle? It's just not cool, Will. That's all I'm saying. Well, here's here's my next prediction. The next iPhone, <laughs> iPhone 13. They might skip 13 because it's an unlucky number in uh, in Asia. I think iPhone 14, whatever they call it, they'll call it something ridiculous. It won't have any connections whatsoever. It'll all be wireless charging, um, wireless uh, headphones. There'll be and because they can improve the water, they can improve the waterproof ability, the ability mm -hmm. for it to be waterproof. How water resistant it is. There we go. They right. can improve yeah. the water resistance of it uh, by doing that. So my prediction, if anyone wants to bet me another dollar, uh, yeah, it's going to be absolutely portless this time next year. Yeah, they also, they're all, they are also improving the, what is it, the, the magnetic arrays within the, the charging devices now. So when you put it on there, you know, because it's always a shame, right? You got a beautiful design, but you know, as soon as you buy it, you got to put a rubber case around it, mm -hmm. which, you know, which why not make a better glass or a better, you know, why don't you just build it better? But, and my phone, for example, because it has a case around it, sometimes, you know how you got to keep moving it around to find the right charging orientations? Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? So hopefully they're going to get rid of that problems in the future. That's what they're saying. Yeah, well, well, they say that though. They were supposed to, we're going totally off topic. It's just turned into this week in technology now. But the <laughs> the 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 uh, built a wireless charger, um, an Apple official one, and they couldn't get it to work. They couldn't for that reason. It wasn't a, you know, they don't want to release a product that doesn't work to, you know, the Apple standards of it being seamless and, and the UX of it all and that side of things. And so they, they dropped the whole idea themselves. All right. Well, let's leave Apple and Verizon alone for now. I think we should move on. Okay. <laughs> sales training, Victor. So a sales enablement conundrum. And this is over at customerthink.com. Ken Powell, who runs a worldwide sales enablement and learning at ADP, he basically says we should be spending more time training sales managers rather than training sales people. What do you think about this, Victor? Is that a fact? Is the data on this? Is Does it even make sense? It, it doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. I mean, we talked about this also in, in one of our other episodes where we talked about how the managers are inundated. Pressure from above, pressure from their colleagues, and then the ability to train pressure below. But think about it. You know, a lot of these sales managers, and I, I, that's too general. I shouldn't do that. A lot of managers are basically taken out of the field and made managers, right? Or they're brought in from another industry 
And now they have to learn that industry. So managers themselves have to learn how to manage themselves and work within the company infrastructure. Now add on top of that, that you have want them to train salespeople because so let me see if I get this right. So I got to manage a PL on this side. I got to work with product management on product development for my markets. Okay, got that. Now you want me to go take some courses on how to train salespeople so that I can take time to train salespeople, which I do not have already. So this is going to be an issue. So I, I'm not what Ken Powell is saying is not wrong. I think it's utopian. Sure. Right. As opposed to dystopian. It's it's very utopian. And like, uh, I love you. Ideally, you're right. Strategically, in terms of implementing it, you might be wrong. In an ideal world, then, and in, in, we'll, we'll drag it away from my dystopian start to this episode of This Week in Sales. Isn't, it, isn't that a beginning of a movie? <laughs> in an ideal world. <laughs> With that voice, it is. That was a good um, TV show announcement voice right there, Victor. Thank you very much. That's, you just reminded me when you said that. In an the, ideal world. Yeah, that's the decades of speaking on stage. That, that Anyone listening to my voice is going, who's that whiny English fella? Why can't he speak more like Victor? <laughs> but in an ideal world, let me, let me ask yes. you this. What is the best way <clears throat> to facilitate sales training? Is it, well, well um, this is a kind of a, a slightly leading question, but is it sales managers train salespeople? Is it there is a specific person within an organization who trains salespeople or is it external trainers come in and train sales team via remote or whatever you want we, to, we don't need to get into the, the technology or the, the how we do things, but is it management, is it individual employed within the organization or is it external? What's the best way to train a sales team in, in, the, in a perfect environment? So, so I'm going I'm to I'm I'm split two things here, coaching and training. Sure. On the training, I would definitely go with option B, which is to hire somebody to build the content and deliver the content, right? Almost like work with product manager, work with marketing, you know, voice of the customer, mm -hmm. how do you position the product, presentations and all that. I would actually bring somebody on board. I don't know why companies just don't do that in many cases. And then the coaching still has to be the manager because the manager's front line. He's seen or she's seen what's going on day to day. And that's where all the tweaks and adjustments have to be made. Okay, I know you learned that in training, but it ain't going to work in the field. Here's where you have to kind of tweak it a bit. That's how I would, you know, change them. So with that, Victor, then let me ask you this. And this is anecdotal. I know you don't have the data in front of you for this. I don't know if there is data for this. What percentage of organizations bring in external people versus what percentage of organizations do all of this themselves with regards to sales training? Break it up into into three tiers, right? The high level tiers, the I'll say the, the the big enterprise corporations have their own internal trainers. They really do. Uh, the big middle, you know, the the small medium sized businesses, they bring in somebody in, and I I've witnessed this over and over again. Well, people bring me in. I go, do you have a sales process? Do you have what do you have documented? Well, we have this one sheet, sure. and they'll show me one sheet with your basic steps, but there's no real sales training. So I would say. If it's a large enterprise company, you know, nine out of 10 probably have their own internal training. If it's a small, medium-sized business, 20% have their own internal training. Got it. Let me ask you this, because now I'm Which intrigued. Which means 80% come from the outside. Yeah, sure, sure. Let me ask you, because now I'm intrigued. Out of, I, I don't, I, I think you can do this anonymously without um, calling out anyone. I don't, I don't want you to call out anyone. But out of those enterprise trainers, <clears throat> how many of them are actually any good? What percentage would you say? 
Oh, I don't know. It would be anecdotal. I think a lot of them are actually very good. Good. I would say very good. Here's why. Because a lot of these enterprise companies who have their own internal trainers, they're seeing the data. They're getting the feedback almost immediately, Will. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're seeing what's working, what's not. They're, they're, they're monitoring. They, they have more data to work with now. So now they're taking that data and moving it into training. So I think they're actually much better. Uh, the small, medium-sized companies that don't collect the data will obviously have to fend for themselves whatever's available in the market. That's how I look at it. So that's a positive for the enterprise. I think they're doing well. Yeah, and I wasn't expecting you to say that, so I appreciate that. And and shout out to anyone who's an internal trainer who, who's listening to the uh, This Week in Sales and, and consuming the content. And with that, Victor, data, tell us why we should be perhaps text messaging some of our clients. You know, this thing blew me away. This So outreach.io uh, posts this. It says, and it talked about texting. Now, let me just read it because I was like, I had to read it twice just to make sure I understood it. It says, Texting buyers, prospects, and customers is now commonplace for many sales and customer success reps, and for good reason. Texting has nearly a 100% open rate compared to email with only 22% average open rate. In addition, most texts receive a response rate within five minutes. Why wouldn't you want to text, Will? So I'd be texting all the time. <laughs> I mean, this is interesting data. What did you think of it? So, Victor, I think there's actually a, a change here in, or a difference between the US market and the European market. I don't know if this is uh, applicable in, in other markets, but we've actually been using text message for decades, decades and decades. And I think there was a different, you can tell me, I think there was a different way of doing short bursts of communication in the US prior to text messaging before that became more ubiquitous in its own right. But I've been text messaging my potential customers and customers since I first started in sales like 12, 13 years ago. Yeah, I think for us, Will, I mean, I mean, we're not Neanderthals here, Will, okay? <laughs> like, oh, oh, we don't know how to text message. We're still doing smoke signals. So we're not doing that. <laughs> so uh, what I think was for us, I think maybe it was a cultural thing. I'm guessing right now, this is my, my theory, is that for us is culturally, we never liked to text somebody we didn't meet already, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think what this study is saying is that, guess what? You can text customers you haven't really met with already. We almost It was almost like taboo on our side. And so I think what this report is saying is, hey, uh, it's okay to be doing this now because here's what the data is showing. So that that's my theory of what might be going on here or the differences might be. Yeah, and, and just a, a bit more context on this. I would always text, I'd be selling medical devices to surgeons. I'd always text a surgeon before I called them or I'd text them before the meeting, uh, you know, if we were meeting at two o'clock, I'd text them at, at five, two, just to confirm it because they've got their hands inside another human body. And so uh, yeah. what, you, what usually <laughs> happens is uh, if, if you phone them, they've got to get a member of nursing staff to walk over with the, and put the phone to the side of their head versus it's easier for them to say, you know, uh, June, John, whoever, who's the nursing staff, can you just text Will back and, and, and say, I'm going to be five minutes later, whatever it is. Yeah. Like I said, I think I'm reading this article saying, you know, it's all about, it's okay to reach out for the first time, your first outreach through text, which I think is kind of revolutionary for us. Do you have any thoughts on the cadences and any changes in, in contact cadences <clears throat> that have perhaps happened with remote selling? Should we be texting people more? Should we be leaving more voicemails now that we're not in an office and people aren't sat next to a desk phone? I, I hate to bring it back to technology because we're off that subject, but here's what's happening. 
this whole cadence and playbook thing has been overplayed, you know, and I think what's happening now is that the machines, the AI is actually telling or guiding now salespeople what cadence is to use. So in other words, instead of just using a general cadence, okay, I'll, I'll call, you know, send an email, you know, uh, send a text, wait two days, do the second cadence, so forth and so on. Yeah. And what we're starting to see is with these algorithms is that they're telling you what the cadence should be based on who you're reaching out to. And so there isn't a set format. So I would say it would depend on the actual industry. I know that's a cop-out answer, by the way. I do. It's not a cop-out answer. That is the perfect answer. And a good example, if someone's trying to sell to me, they don't have my phone number. Nobody has my phone number. It is impossible mm. to find. I was actually on a, on a call with the CEO of an organization um, mm. that finds phone numbers and contact details, and he assured me that he'd be able to find my number. And of course, he couldn't find it because I've never given it to anyone for it to be on a database somewhere. Victor, you don't even have my phone number, my friend. You, you can have it, though. I, I trust you. Um, so that depends on the cadence, right? If part of your cadence is voicemail, call, this, email, text, well, you're going to have a moment of does not compute with a, an individual when they try and go through that cadence. Or I might wreck the whole programming that they've they've sent up to, to spam me with all these different messages and things because that piece of data is not available, even though I might be an incredible customer. Could be, could be. It's really hard. I think the, the whole cadence and playbook thing, I think is... Again, I think three to five years ago, let's just say at least three years ago, I think we were in the midst of trying to create the right cadences and work with the right playbooks. But now I think most salespeople probably don't even use playbooks. They let the machine guide them through the process. Yeah, and it's probably a case of three to five years ago, the ability to have a cadence was the advantage. Any cadence was probably better yes. than no cadence. Yes. And so Correct. people were winning from that. And people, clearly you've got to try and great separate point. yourself. You've got, to, you've got to spin something, haven't you, into a competitive advantage. That was a great advantage. insight. That's a great insight, Will. I, I appreciate that, Victor. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Great. Good. Well, with that, mate, culture, the culture element of This Week in Sales, which when we first started the show, if you would have told me that there was going to be a culture section to it, I'd have said that we're trying to be too arty and farty and it would make no sense for our audience. But this is incredibly relevant, right? So Microsoft is allowing more of its employees to work from home permanently. And this was announced just at the end of last week after we'd recorded. So what does this mean for salespeople, Victor? Does this mean that there isn't going to be an office to go back to? Well, you know, it, you know, if you read further, uh, it says, while the vast majority of Microsoft employees are still working from home during the ongoing pandemic, the software maker has unveiled hybrid workplace guidance internally to allow for greater flexibility. So what I think is going to happen, Will, is that, you know, people are going to have more autonomy to determine whether they need to go into the office or not without the stigma. Like pre-pandemic, if you didn't show up, you're like, well, where is he? Is he fishing? Is he, you know, yeah. you know, at the pub? But now it's like, you know, you can make that decision without that, again, without that negative stigma associated with it. And I think that's a big step forward for everybody. By the way, big step forward for the planet. Less driving, I think. So that's going to be a big one in terms of reducing the carbon footprint. I agree. And there's, there's multiple elements to this. Does this all come back down to the fact that 10 years ago, if you tried to do this, maybe 20 years ago, if you tried to do this, nobody had a smartphone, a mobile phone that's essentially inadvertently tracking us and it, we're, we're on connected 24 seven, right? Even when we're asleep, a phone call, a tech could still come through. And some people would wake up and reply to it before they went back to sleep. Me, I'd be 
flunging throwing my telephone to the other side of the room rather than replying to anything that came in at two o'clock in the morning don't know about you victor and how you kind of segment your life i think you do that quite well we've talked about it on last week on the show but is this now possible i'm getting slightly dystopian again is this now possible because we are just so connected that we can't run away and go fishing without someone finding out about it I mean, you <laughs> you could, well, you could go fishing and nobody could find out about it. Just turn the phone off. But he, but here's, I mean, you're bringing up another good point is that could we have had this discussion 10, 15 years ago? The technology wasn't there. The bandwidth wasn't there. The, the smart objects weren't there. And so now, you know, maybe we were, and I think we talked about, so we were moving in that direction, maybe at a 45 degree trajectory, but now we've made a hard right turn towards that option. So I think a lot of things have come into play. One, uh, obviously the pandemic. Two, you're right, infrastructure and product technology might be three, but also this acceptance that is okay. I mean, that's, I think this whole shift is more psychological mm -hmm. than technological or uh, technological, I guess that's the word, or physical. It's really our new psyche going, hey, it's okay to do it this way and it's working. So let me ask you this then, Victor, in a world where, in an ideal world where we can get up when we want, we can go to bed when we want, we can go on mm -hmm. holiday when we want, we can work when we want. As long as we hit our criteria of jobs done, uh, productivity hit for the week, it doesn't matter whether we do it at the beginning of the week or we stay up all night on a Sunday to get the job done. In a world where, and that's where we're moving, right? And that's where we should be because that's how humans should live. Um, and people, I imagine people are going to be far happier and there's probably data on this as well. People are going to be far more happy and more productive when they're not confined to working in specific hours where they might not be particularly productive, just the way that they're wired or other routines right. or other things going on. In that world, Victor, how the heck are we supposed to sell to these individuals who only work three days a week but work 15 hours a day? Because if, well, I mean, if they've not got um, a routine, how, when do we connect with them? I, I think this gets back to the the original statement we started out with the original study which says that you know you know whatever 80 percent of buyers are not going to buy online directly through the digital networks right I think we have to accept that that's the new reality and you're right we now if there are no set schedules so that's what's really throwing us off balance here right if there are no set schedules when do I reach out and then from a buyer from a from a personal perspective I like to choose my own time when I want to do certain things mm -hmm. so will it make it harder I think so but again I think we're going to move into a space where the customer is going to come to you and this is where I think inbound is going to be bigger than outbound in the future that's my prediction inbound will outpace outbound not because outbound is important of course it is but customers want to find their way to you and we talked about this, I think, two weeks ago, that marketing now takes a more prominent role in getting people to you and, you know, forming their preferences. I'm just Googling it uh, mid-talks. You might have to take over mm -hmm. a second, Victor. I'm just trying to see oh, if there's okay. any data on inbound versus outbound sales. And if there's been any shifts over the past, not necessarily the past 12 months, but over the past few years or if there's mm -hmm. any preferences Okay, well, look, look that up. Let me let me highlight these other two parts because I just talked about Microsoft, but Salesforce, uh, the software company, is extending its work from home policy all the way through January July thirty first of twenty twenty one. Salesforce is giving each employee another two hundred and fifty dollars to purchase office supplies for their homes. Man, you got to love that. Parents will have the option to take six extra weeks of paid time off. I mean, not all corporations are evil. Listen to that. One more. Google. Google employees allowed to work from home until at least next July, 
pretty similar. The decision by CEO Sundar Pichai, I think is the name, affecting some 200,000 employees and contract workers globally extends the search engine giant's remote work order beyond that of most of its tech peers. So now you have, well, you have Microsoft, you have Salesforce, you have Google. I'm sure if we looked into Facebook and some of the other big companies, we're starting to see the same. So when the big companies are saying, hey, this is okay, this remote work is okay, I think that signals you could almost put, draw a line in the sand that we have now entered a new era. So it was pre-internet, we're the, in the internet. Now, I think we're now in this new remote selling environment or remote work environment. And I think this is interesting. For sure. I couldn't find any data on inbound versus outbound okay. because uh, I don't think anyone has any data and all the pages and data points I could find were massively biased trying to sell you inbound software mm -hmm. or outbound software. But on You know what? By the way, Will, the reason, the reason you couldn't find any data is obvious. You and I are ahead of the curve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I feel like that could be the spin-off show, Victor, ahead of the curve. I mean, you just make ridiculous predictions. We're right one in 10 times, and then we just cut them. Because uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, um, famed marketer, um, social media kind of guru, yeah. he's done this, just talks a lot of crap all day, every day. He's Whoa. just so, you know, let me face he's so extroverted, talks so much crap, he's on stage so often that one in 10 of the things he talks about comes true. And then his team are incredible at cutting that back with a, a more, with a video of him commenting on the fact that he was right, that he looks like some kind of guru or genius. <laughs> and I like Gary. I've, uh, I've spoke to Gary. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, do you know wait, 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 you just, you just went through this whole slam and then you go, but I like Gary. I do like it. It's, oh, it's a it's a smart strategy. If you can if you can push out enough um, content. Do you know, have you heard Too of a funny. guy called Darren Brown? No, I have not. So he is, how to describe him? He's not a magician. He, I think it's called a mentalist. I think that's the, the way of describing oh. him. So he, okay. he does mind tricks and says it's hypnosis and says he's manipulating things, but really there's more logical things going on in the background that allows him to get that effect. So he's a magician, but uses mind tricks, essentially. Well, he did a show in the UK. He's, he's incredible. Absolutely. Anyone who's uh, not familiar with him should definitely check out some mm. of his stage shows specifically online. So he did a TV show where, um, I assume you have horse racing and stuff in the, in the US. There'll be some kind of equivalent of not. He did a TV show where he give and I think it was like 25 correct predictions in a row. And he gave these predictions to individuals and they made tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds from these predictions. And obviously, statistically, mm -hmm. that is incredible, right? How can you how mm -hmm. can you predict a horse race 25 times in a row? And they were basically compound the people that he was giving these predictions <clears throat> to were compounding the their cash every time, started off with 10 quid or whatever it was and ended up with ten thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds. Now, it goes through the whole show. It's incredible. You're thinking this is some kind of fix or fake or, you know, you're even then starting to ponder. Perhaps he's got some kind of insider knowledge or that the races themselves were set up uh, to, to, to make the show and, 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 and to build all that. Was what all he did, and this is the big twist at the end of the episode, spoiler alert for anyone who uh, is going to watch this in the future, but basically he started off giving predictions to 300 people or whatever the statistically uh, number the, the number was. And by the statistics, one or two of them were going to get the right answers, if that makes sense. So he was right. giving random predictions to 300 people 
he didn't talk about anyone who got it wrong on the show until the very end. He only talked about the couple of people that he got right. And it was just a statistical phenomenon as opposed to anything else. So long story short, Victor, that is a long anecdote to prove my point. <laughs> that is what Gary Vaynerchuk's doing with his, okay. with his predictions. <laughs> Uh, yeah, by the way, that whole that story reminded me of a lot of people who do your horoscopes and can predict your well, fortune. I'm like, well, if you're yep. so good, why don't you predict your own fortune and just quit? Yeah, uh, just, just predict just the lottery me. numbers next week. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, one other thing on the Salesforce working from home, $250 does not buy you enough equipment to work from home. You know, well, you're, you're so negative today. I just, I don't know what's going on, man. I just, you know, I'm, I'm, it's glass half full. It's 250 bucks here, Will. <laughs> but, but, so, because the question I was going to ask following on from that, Victor, before you, you took the mick out of me, mate, was should employers now be paying more than that? You know, a lap, maybe you've got a work laptop, you need a desk, you need a chair, a decent chair, could be you know, 500 quid if you've got something that actually is comfortable and and isn't going to wreck his spine over the next five years you're talking like you know a thousand for a decent chair should employers from even like a hr perspective be pushing money on the the people that are working from home to to get them set up in you know an ergonomic environment you know it's it's a great i actually thought it's a great question and I, here's what i would say i would answer the question this way it would behoove these companies to make sure that their employees have a good working environment at home. As you say, some ergonomic chairs, tables, whatever it may be, because they're gonna be more productive. So I would think that they would want to invest. I mean, what I would do is probably sell the building. I forgot which company is it that decided not to move into a large building after they spent, I don't know, like a hundred million dollars. It was some crazy number like that. And they're just because of what's happened, they're saying, we're not gonna move into the building. And imagine taking that money that you're now saving on commercial real estate for all these offices, turning around, and you're right, 250 bucks, it's not a lot of money, but uh, turning around and just maybe giving people, I don't know, a couple of thousand dollars, you know, to retool their office and maybe just create a standard, I don't want to say cubicle template, you know what I mean? In other words, here's a standard chair we use, mm -hmm. here's a standard table, here's a standard mic, so forth and so on. I think that'd be a good idea. Yeah, I agree. And you, you're bound to get more productivity about, you know, if you if I'm continuing Correct. to be cynical about things, you're bound to get more productivity <laughs> about those individuals, aren't you? And, you know, the, the, there's going to be an ROI calculation in there because at some point, some company is going to get sued because someone has back pain and wrist pain because they're working on a laptop on the ah, kitchen table. I didn't think about that. That's interesting. Workman's compensation mm -hmm. for that. That's interesting, Will. Man, you really do go dark, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, this is top of mind for me at the moment, Victor, because I know on your set, you spend a lot of time stood upright. Is that is that strategic that you stand up because you perform better when you're doing your content or is it because of ergonomic reasons? Uh, I perform better. Okay. So when I, when I do, con when I got to get into my content, I got to throw my whole body into the content. Like when I have these conversations, it's easy to sit down. It's a nice casual conversation about this week in sales. But when I'm delivering like content, content for a, a webinar presentation, I definitely have to get up. It's almost like, you know, we always says that motion creates emotion. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the, the phrase we use. So I, that's why I move around a lot and do a standing up. Yep. The reason I ask is I've switched this week exclusively to a standing desk and I've had a standing desk for years. I've just never used it, which is what I think most people's mm -hmm. standing desks turn into. And I've got shoulder pain. I've got a bit of back pain. But my posture being I'm, I'm tall and lanky and skinny my posture has never been better just for a week mm. of standing there so obviously the, the pains will be growing pains of, of getting used to standing up and and also i've not had any wrist pain either from 
uh, I must have, I, I try to set up my seating uh, desk at a, you know, as ergonomically as I can. I've watched YouTube videos on it. I've actually got a book. It's a really good book. If anyone's got any, um, it's called Desk Bound. It's a really good book. It's a big, thick and heavy hmm. and goes way too into detail of the ergonomics of things, but it gives you a bunch of exercises to break up any shoulder pain, muscle pain and things like that as well towards the end of it. So that's a great book. I'll put that in the show notes of this episode as well. Um, I love that. By the way, one thing that I, I just mentioned, well, it's right below me here, is I put a real nice soft foam pad, you know, underneath my, uh, my, my desk. When I stand, I stand on the foam pad. And then in my shoes, I also have like arch supports in my shoes, like these sports arch supports. Mm -hmm. And so that has allowed me to like reduce the lower back pain if I got to do an hour, hour and a half type of webinar presentation. Yeah. FYI. And, and the other thing that's worked really well for me is that I've started lifting weights and I've got a lot more serious about it. And you, I will probably mention it because I'm obsessed with it at the moment. It'll probably come up in future conversations. And But doing a load mm. of deadlifts, I, I feel like my back, lower back especially, is stronger. And mm. I feel more, it's weird. Well, it's not weird. It's obvious. It's mechanics, right? If you've mm -hmm. got a bit more stability around your back, uh, you're, you're going to be able to stand up for longer and, uh, and use that standing desk. So yeah, we're going off topic here slightly, but okay. it might be relevant for the audience if you are having back Hey, pain. we're going to talk. Our future series is called Workout with Will yeah. while learning technology in sales. Yeah, there you or, go, something like that, right? Or it's, it's two old fellas complaining about achy joints. That's the, the spin-off podcast. All right, all right, moving on, moving on. Well, let's come back to audience questions. So I've got one audience question here. It was dropped on YouTube. If you want to see your question featured on the show, drop a comment on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on anywhere that this show goes live, and we might include it if it's a good question. And here we have, a, a there's no name, but we're going to shout them out, AKA Vlogs says, I'm new to sales. I work for a B2B firm. What advice would you give a newbie? Victor, what advice would you give AKA Vlogs who's brand new to sales? What's the first thing they should do? You know, I hate these questions where they're so broad. I like when they're specific, but if I got to give you a broad uh, answer to this one, I said, you know, know your product. That's the easy one. Know the market and know your tools. I think product is actually knowing what you're selling. Knowing the market is knowing what your customers want and don't want and the competition, market environment, all that. And then the third part is know your tools. You know, what tools, what's your technology stack, what you're going to use to be more effective in selling. That's what I would say. I would go, I agree with all that. And my hack to do a lot of that is just find whoever is killing it in the organization and stalk them like a crazy person, make notes, no. copy what they're doing, and don't try and be creative or invent anything. Just, just do what they're doing and see if you can get a level of success from that. I like your answer better. I'll go with your answer first. Let's put your answer as number one, mine's as number two. I well, love that. It, it's almost like step one, step two, right? Of I right. just copy everything that someone else is doing and then you need to learn product, you need to learn all that stuff, but you can learn that via your, um, via your inadvertent mentor, I guess. You know, it goes back to what you talked about earlier, Will, where we talk about, you know, training. You asked a question about, you know, who should do the training. You know, first of all, you should take responsibility for your own training in case the company doesn't offer you training. And then take your advice, which is find somebody who's killing it and just shadow them and figure out what they're doing. They'll be more than happy to share with you. So and good point. There has to be someone who's winning, right? Otherwise, the targets are wrong. That's, That's correct. It, 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 yes. If nobody's having success, there's something else going wrong with this organization. Yep. Yep. I love your answer. Good answer. 
Good man. We'll, we'll wrap up this show with, we won't do this every episode, but I just wanted to make a note of all the comments that we're getting because that drives you know views, it drives attention, it helps us and the more views and content and 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 downloads that we get, the better show that we can do, the bigger show we can do, bigger production we can do. And the longer I can rope in Victor on doing this and, and helping me out uh, by putting this show together. So I wanted to just shout a couple of people I might butcher some names here, so I apologize. But we have a comment from Anita Erig. We have Dan Wing. We have James Say What Sells Buckley, legend. He's coming on the Salesman podcast shortly. So, hey, James. We have Alexandra J. Buckles. We have John Mazzarino. I might be getting that wrong. Manarazzo. Manarazzo. Yeah. And by the way, let's not skip over this one. If we may, well, let's not skip over this one. Alexander J. Buckles says, Thanks for sharing. I like the conversation around Salesforce and where you think others may be going to compete. I agree with your perspective around companies like Gong partnering with PyDrive. We were ahead of the curve, Will. <laughs> we're ahead of the curve. I want to drive this home that this is where you need to be if you want to know what's going to go on in sales. That's Love it. Love it. Well, I can't even go for any more names after that, Victor. That is it. But okay. I do, we do appreciate the comments. We appreciate the feedback. And we'll wrap up now with Victor. What is your key takeaway from the week? Key takeaway from the week is, you know, on the Sales Influence podcast, I interviewed a lot of different people in frontline sales. That's one of my new goals is to interview people in frontline sales. And it's really interesting to see what they're going through, the adjustments they're making to this new reality of selling. And I think we need to do like an episode just on, you know, what this new reality of selling is beyond the basic old school sales stuff, like really the new stuff they're doing, the implementation beyond the playbooks, uh, beyond the cadences, how are they selling? And so that was my big aha this week that uh, I, I thought it was really interesting to see what's going on in sales. So I'm excited. Good man. And I think I, I think this was my key takeaway from last week, but I try and as Victor did with real time takeaways. My big takeaway from this week, I think is the same as last week in that following up is just so important in that I mm. had another couple of deals that I thought had just gone astray and, and it wasn't going to happen. And I sent some, um, I think we call them in our training, kind of like last ditch uh, emails and I got responses back and invoices paid. And it was just, it wasn't a top, it was a priority to do and to get the deals done, but it wasn't a priority on that day. And then it slips and slips. And so a little bit of, I, would, I don't want to say pestering, but a little bit of follow-up could be the difference between a deal happening and a deal just be getting forgot about. So that's my oh, key takeaway from the week. Hey, hey, Will, can I just tag on? I know we're wrapping up, but I, I interviewed a, ge a gentleman by the name of uh, Kevin Dorsey, mm -hmm. KD, and he tells a story. This goes to your following up, by the way. So he, he was talking about how his sales fails, how he failed in sales, things that went wrong. And one was that he sent the client a $12 million contract. Everything was agreed upon, sent him a $12 million contract. First week, nothing. He kept leaving voice bill, nothing. Ghosting. Second week, nothing. Kept ghosting him. He kept following up. Third week, he kept following up. Finally, the guy decides to respond. He says, look, says the reason I haven't called back, the customer says to him, is because, you know, we believe in integrity. And we look at your proposal. It's not what we talked about. The guy goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, we didn't agree to 12 million. He goes, what, what do you mean 12 million? And what <laughs> happened was it should have been 1.2 million. Wow. It was a decimal point off. And if he had not followed up, Will, and just be, been consistent yep. and not imagine that, you know, they're, they're not going to buy, his follow through finally got him the deal. So you, remind, you triggered me when you said that, because I think follow through is key. I'm with you, Will. For sure. For sure. Well, Whenever I sign a 12 million 
dollar contract victor i'll be out of here buddy that is it i'm i'm logging to the sunset at that point i'll be uh you'll be doing the show on your own at that point my friend no no, no i'll right i'll be right behind you come on will you need somebody to carry your bags my friend you need somebody to carry your bags good stuff well with that we'll wrap up again leave your comments below leave your questions if you're watching this on, on the video on linkedin or wherever else we, we publish it leave your comments below we'll answer your questions in next week's episode of this week in sales and from victor and myself we'll speak to you again next week.